Welcome to Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. My name is Munira Pranji, and I am the host of this podcast. The vision of this podcast is to connect you with ordinary, everyday people from around the world. People who are making a difference. People who are contributing to their communities and the world in small and big ways through their ideas, their imagination, their challenges, their purpose, and their passion. Today's guest is Turquin Singh, who is an extraordinary henna artist. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Turquin studied dance and fine arts at York University and went on to get her degree in education from the University of British Columbia. She runs her own henna business called Henna Planet and works part-time as an occasional teacher. I met Tarquin about seven years ago when I was battling two cancers. It was a rough time in my life. I was going through intensive treatment. I was fatigued. And as part of the chemo treatment, I had lost all my hair. My husband, Nagib, knowing that I'm a bit of a drama queen, jokingly suggested that I might want to get a henna applied on my bald head. He had read an article about a company called Henna Heels that could make that happen. Well, I immediately called Henna Heels and I spoke to the founder, Frances Darwin, and she arranged for Tarquin to come to my home and apply henna on my head. Over the years, each time I have lost uh, my hair to cancer treatment, Tarquin has come to the rescue. She has uh, come to my home and created some stunning, intricate designs on my head. It's almost a, a rite of passage for me when I lose my hair. So welcome to the show, Tarquin Singh. I'm very, very excited to have this time to chat with you about you and the work that you do. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here as well. So let's take it right from the beginning. How did you get into this work, Tarquin? So when my daughter was about six years old, she got a henna kit for her birthday. And I didn't really know much about henna at that time. I had seen it maybe a couple of times, but I really didn't know much about it. And she was too young to do it herself. So we just mixed it up together. And I started applying the designs to her. I was just copying the designs that came with the kit. And I was really fascinated by it and intrigued by it. And I do have an arts background. So I had always drawn and, and done stuff like that. So it kind of came naturally to me. But, you know, it was I could tell it was a, a technique that would take a lot of practice. And I really did want to practice and, and try, continue to do it. And shortly after that, a friend of mine said, oh, I want to get a henna tattoo. And I said, oh, I could do that for you. So she came over and with my kids around me and some of the neighborhood kids, I had my friend lie on the floor and I did a design on her back. And afterwards she looked at it and she just loved it. And I think at that moment, I was really hooked. I was like, okay, I need to know more about this. I want to keep doing this. And I really want to know where it comes from and, and what it's all about. And so it was at a time when I was, well, I was a full-time mom and I stayed home with my kids. I raised my kids and they were in school pretty much full-time at that point. So I would find myself coming home every day and going onto the computer and 
looking up information about henna because I really wanted to know about it. I wanted to know the history and the culture. It was, it was just so fascinating to me. I ended up finding a website run by a woman named Catherine Cartwright Jones who lives in the States and she had done her master's and her PhD in henna use. And it was just a vast website full of all kinds of information which is where I learned how to make my own henna paste. I learned about the culture and the history of henna. It was an amazing time. I just, it was a real time of growth and learning for me. And here you are today. You own your own company, Henna Planet. Um, it's an interesting name. How did it come about? Well, I, I knew that there were a lot of people out there who had their own henna business. And I knew that because this website that I went to had a forum and this was like long before Facebook and, you know, internet that we know today, it was, it was much different. And there was a forum on there and I, I found that there were people who kept popping up, you know, when I would ask questions or I would look and see what other people were asking about. And I was discovering that they had their own businesses. Around that time, a neighbor saw me doing some hen on a, on a local friend and she said, oh, you're really good. Would, would you want to make money doing this? And I thought, yes, yes, that's exactly what I would like to do. And uh, yeah, I, I thought, you know, from that point on, I was like, yeah, I'm going to start my own business. And so Henna Planet came about from me just trying to brainstorm the name of my company. And I, I knew that I wanted it to be something kind of ethereal, but also really planted in and grounded in the earth because plant henna is a plant and I ended up coming up with the term planet and I and I like that because it really encompasses everybody on earth you know it encompasses people and the idea of yeah being grounded in the ground planted in the ground Clearly, a lot of thought went into coming up with that name. You talk about this online community that you met before Facebook. Tell me a little bit more about that community. Yeah, it's, it's a really fantastic community because they're very helpful. They're really keen on growing a henna community of people who are interested in henna and respect henna and want to know about henna from everything from how to make henna to the history of henna to the cultural and use of henna to the safety of henna. And so basically I, you know, started to recognize some of these names that would pop up on forums and we kind of connected that way. I haven't met most of them, but I know of them and they know of me. And if I was to go to a city where one of those henna artists was living and said, hey, I'm here. And I know a lot of people do that. They get together um, when they're traveling and just connect because they know each other from online. And I learned there's a Facebook group called Henna Hub that started. And it, it really does connect people from all over the world, all kinds of henna artists. And they have a file section where you, if you're new to henna, you can go to that those files and you can learn about all kinds of topics. But not only that, they're just a very active community and, and you can post any question on there or share your work and get some feedback on it. And they're very encouraging. They really want to see people succeed. And, and you can, yeah, you can learn about uh, how you can troubleshoot if you're having problems mixing your paste or you need a specific question asked about a certain way to sit when you're doing bridal work or whatever it is. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful community. It is rather incredible, isn't it, how technology can create a virtual community that is so supportive. 
Absolutely. Just out of curiosity, given that this community is made up of people who come from all over the world, have you found any differences or idiosyncrasies or specific things that tend to be more popular in one part of the world compared to another? I would say that henna has really changed in the last century. You know, originally it started in, and they believe it started 5,000 years ago, approximately in Egypt. And it from there spread out into North Africa and South Southern Europe, and then traveled, you know, from there into Middle East and Pakistan, India, Southeast Asia. And those were traditionally the, the sorts of the countries and, and communities that practiced henna, and, and that's where henna was grown. But over the last century, it's traveled more widely in the world. It's come into North America, parts of Europe, in the, the Southern Hemisphere. And traditionally, henna was really used for rites of passage, rituals, to bring good luck. You know, traditionally, a lot of people think of it of bridal henna when they think of henna. And of course, that's a very important right of passage for many people. But as it's sort of spread throughout the world, it's it's become a little bit more diverse in its use. People still do honor and respect its roots and its traditional uses and history. But, you know, it is sort of evolving. And, and so people are using it for different purposes. And of course, the designs have really changed and are constantly evolving. So, you know, within one country, you can have a, quite a variety of different styles of henna, even, you know, within cities, they can be quite diverse as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an ever changing, evolving art form which means lots of opportunities to continue to learn and grow in this, uh, in this field and in this career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was very, very fortunate to have you do my henna crown, which is uh, the henna on the head. But I know you do a lot more than that. So can you walk us through some, some other opportunities where you've been invited to do henna? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually kind of uh, an interesting segue because henna on the head, as well as henna on the belly for pregnant women, is actually not really a tradition that's practiced in um, the countries which you know historically have practiced henna. It's much more of a sort of a North American development, and so it does provide a lot more opportunities for applying henna to people. But in my business, I do all kinds of different henna. I do a lot of parties and events get hired to do home parties and you know people going to people's homes and doing like a group of women or teenagers events so things like bar mitzvahs bat mitzvahs as well as private appointments I do private appointments and bridal work as well and uh, the henna crowns and henna bellies as well as things like tattoo trials. So if somebody is looking for a tattoo, but they don't really want to commit or they want to see how it might look on their body and have a, a sense of what it feels like to have that. So it's, you know, they come to get henna as a temporary trial run. As well as I do, um, which I think is quite interesting too, is uh, scar coverage for people. So a lot of times people will have a scar and either they, a lot of times they want to just cover it up because they're going on holiday or something like that. Or they, yeah, they often, if it's another part of their body where they see it all the time, they just, you know, don't want to look at it all the time. It reminds them of things. So they want to cover it. Or maybe it's even just to honor that scar, that thing that they, that, that they went through to, uh, 
to, to get that started. So, so lots of different reasons why people uh, apply henna. And so I do a, a lot of different things. And it's always really interesting to, to hear about why people want the henna or what their use of it is. And I understand that some of your work has been featured in a couple of TV shows. Can you talk about that a little bit? I was hired by a couple of different production companies. One was for a TV show called Combat Hospital. And another one was for a show called The Expanse, which is a sci-fi show. The actor that they wanted me to do henna on um, is Jared Harris. who's a, a well-known uh, British actor. He was in Mad Men. Um, so that was kind of a neat, unique experience for me and exciting and fun. And it was kind of a neat opportunity for me. As I hear you speak, there is such a joy when you talk about the work that you do. What brings you the greatest joy in this work? I would say that I really love my job. I'm so grateful that I do it, that I get to do what I do. Because it's not very often that you, first of all, get to make money doing your passion. And when you do, it's the kind of job that I get a lot of very positive feedback from. So when I go to do a party or I go to do a private appointment, whatever it is, people usually react very positively. They're usually ecstatic. Or they're just so excited. They're just so happy to have it applied to them. And so I get a lot of, yeah, I get a lot of that sort of, I get positive vibes from that. It makes me feel good and it also makes them feel good. So there's like this exchange of positive energy, which is amazing. I love that, uh, that feeling. Yeah, I really, I do really love doing henna. You know, I, I wanted to say that the first time you did uh, a henna crown on me, I was so unsure about how it would turn out and you wouldn't allow me to go to the mirror to see what you were doing you wanted me to wait right to the end and it took about I think an hour and a half for you to complete the the henna crown I went to the mirror and I will never ever ever forget how incredible I felt when I saw myself you know I felt powerful I felt like a superwoman. I felt like a cancer warrior. I felt like I could, I could do anything. And I just kept looking for opportunities to leave the house so that I could show off <laughs> my henna. And what I remember is going to you know, the hospital, to grocery stores, and uh, people would surreptitiously take out their phone to take a picture of me. And sometimes they would come up and say, you know, can we take a picture with you? And uh, I've actually seen some of those pictures on Facebook subsequently. So there's something that was just so powerful about getting your henna crown. Yeah, and I, I think that um, that is one of the most rewarding parts of my journey is doing the henna crowns. You know, Francis Darwin really did start this business and called it Henna Heals, not because henna heals any kind of cancer or any other diseases. Of course, we know that. But the fact that, you know, you're getting something applied to you, you're having somebody touch you in a positive way, an energizing way. And the result is this design on your head that, like you said, it makes you feel so powerful, and so good. And I hear that repeatedly from people who I do henna crowns on. And I think that that's really, that was really the goal of Henna Heals, really to empower women, to help them feel better when they're going through such a difficult time. Like that, 
in itself is healing to have those positive feelings coming from getting this done. Like it's just so powerful. Mm -hmm. It sure is. It sure is. I know that one of the things that's really, really important to you is henna and safety. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. And that's one thing I always try to educate people about is the difference between natural henna, which is what I practice and chemical henna. So I make my own natural henna paste. I use just the ground up leaves of the henna plant, which is the henna powder. I import that from a reputable supplier and then I mix it with lemon juice. You can also use water, sugar, and then an oil that helps to darken the stain. And I use lavender oil because it's the safest for use on skin. But there are other kinds of hennas out there. Oh, and I should just mention that natural henna creates a stain that's a reddish brownish color. And it usually typically lasts about seven to 10 days. And then there's chemical henna, which is some people have heard of black henna. Some people haven't, but basically what it is, is black hair dye that's put into a henna tube or a henna cone. And black hair dye contains a chemical called PPD, which is diamine, and it's extremely toxic. So people can basically get a chemical burn on their skin from this black henna. Some people don't get anything right away the first time. Sometimes the thing about black henna is it's highly sensitizing. So over time, you become more sensitive to it. And so you can actually have a, a reaction further along in your exposure to it. But not only that, it does get into your bloodstream and into your organs. And the research has shown that it can increase your risk of cancer. And yeah, sometimes even the, the chemical burns on the skin can cause people to end up in the hospital. So if you ever Google black henna, you'll often find horror stories of people who've had severe reactions to it. The other thing is that a lot of people don't realize that when you go to the market and you buy a, a cone that's a pre-made packaged cone, it might say brown on it, or it might say natural. Those cones have been shown to actually contain uh, very dangerous chemicals like benzene, kerosene, lighter fluid, formaldehyde, as well as others. And uh, so I find that sometimes people will actually search me out and say, you know, I, I was looking for somebody who does practice natural henna because I've had you know, these other hennas applied to me and I've had reactions, my skin gets breaks out in rashes and so on. So, so it's really important to me to spread the word about natural henna. Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised to learn that uh, you can choose to be um, certified as a henna artist. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's a, an organization called ICNHA, Internationally Certified Natural Henna Artists. And it's basically to certify people so that they can prove that they know about safety. Safety is probably the one, number one concern, but also that they have a respect for the art form, that they understand about the history of henna, where it comes from, what it's used for, and so on. So whenever people are looking for a natural henna artist, it's good if they can uh, find somebody who is certified. It is a choice though. It's not like you have to be certified to be a natural henna artist. There are a lot. I was actually a, a natural henna artist for years before I became certified, but I decided to do it because I really wanted to add that as, you know, an assurance really to people that, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to mm -hmm. harm you. And I also 
because I am a member of CAFABA, which is the Canadian Association of Face and Body Artists, I have to, they have certain standards around safety. And because I've joined them, then I also can get insurance. So you can't be insured in Canada as a henna artist if you practice chemical henna. So it's just another assurance for my clients that, that I am not going to harm you. Mm-hmm. And working with you, I, I know that you take uh, that incredibly seriously and you take such immense pride in the work that you do. You know, I'm thinking about one time when you did a henna crown for me. My daughter, Sabrina, was getting married, if you recall. And I said to me, I really want to do as a gift for you. I want to do a henna crown. And I was bored at the time because I was going through chemotherapy. I said to you, I really want you to incorporate the words happily ever after as part of this henna crown. And you very graciously did that. Another time when um, I was going through treatment and the henna crown actually said, choose hope. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think that was when we did the CTV interview with Francis for Henna yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I get a lot of requests for stuff like that, which is really kind of interesting. So I'll get people saying, oh, I want, you know, this type of design incorporated into the henna, or I want these words incorporated and so on, because it brings meaning to the person who's getting the henna, you know, Mm -hmm. significant for them. And that's important. So I always try to um, incorporate whatever they want into the design as best as I can. It's a challenge. It's fun. I'm just very curious about the work that you do with the prenatal bellies. Mm -hmm. Um, Any experiences around that? Any stories you can share? So typically, how pregnant is an individual when they have a uh, prenatal belly? And and how does all of that work out? Usually, I suggest getting the henna done as close to their due date as possible, within about a month of their due date. Partly because then they have a lot more space to work with. And it's really funny because that's what I like about doing henna crowns and bellies is because the canvas is pretty large, right? It's sort of much larger than a hand, right? Or, or whatever. So it's fun. And what I love about doing henna bellies is that as soon as I get down there and I'm like talking with the mom, of course, my mouth is very close to the belly and the baby can hear me. And so they're, they often start really wiggling around and moving. And so you literally can feel the baby moving. And like, how rare is that, right? Like I'm, I'm sitting there doing the henna usually for at least an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And to be that close to a fetus for that length of time is really special. I love it. And I, I mean, for me, I've always loved the whole, I love being pregnant myself. I had three kids and I loved being pregnant. I loved the whole process. I loved the whole process of birthing and breastfeeding and so on. So it's really special for me to be able to do the henna bellies. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite clients to work on for sure. And it's really cool too, because a lot of times people do want sort of symbols in this. Often they want the name of the child to be written in the henna. I actually had one woman, I can't remember, it was quite a while ago now. She she knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted a tree, she wanted a horse, she wanted a little boy who was supposed to represent the son she has now, and then she wanted a lion. And it had to do with like the name of the child that they were going to, (laughs) of the baby that that she was gonna be giving birth to. I I don't remember the details, but I mean, it was great because it was like a real challenge for me. I had to like compose something and come up with something. And then I had another woman who, she wanted a fall theme because it was her baby was being born in the fall and so I ended up doing 
you know, like three pumpkins, one in the middle and two on the side. And then I did like three little spiders. So it was like three because there's going to be a family of three soon. So I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. But I, I do, I really love it when people give me a challenge because I, I feel like that is very inspiring for me to be able to come up with something and to work on such a big, you know, canvas like that. Wow, to be able to experience all of this with such intimacy, I, I can see how that, that makes your heart just soar. That's incredible. So now we live in unprecedented times. The coronavirus has hit the world globally. Has that had any impact on the work that you do? Yeah, so obviously with um, a lot of small businesses, you know, we aren't really able to continue working and I certainly haven't been able to. And with henna, you you really do have to get up and close with people. So that's just not something that I'm going to be able to do probably for a while, I would imagine. So yeah, I really don't know how things are going to progress with that. I mean, it might be a, quite a while before I'm even able to get back into it. I don't really know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, maybe not even until there's a vaccine. I don't really know. In the meantime, I know that you've been keeping really busy. You've been making masks. Mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit about what you've been doing over the last uh, you know, month or so? Yeah, so I noticed on Facebook that there was a, a request from the Michael Guerin Hospital, which is my local hospital, asking for a thousand masks a week from the community. I have some experience sewing. I'm a pretty, I'm an amateur, but I have sewn several things in my lifetime and I enjoy sewing. And, and I, so shortly after that, I I joined the sewing army on Facebook. It's basically uh, started by a woman who is professional and wanted to spread the word and get help for creating masks for the community. So not just for the hospital, but for all kinds of different health communities in, in Ontario, as well as all over Canada, actually. So it was just shortly after everything had kind of gotten locked down and I was like, oh, this is something I could do. And I'm the kind of person who loves to be busy. <laughs> I can't stand to sit still. And so I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So yeah, the next day I just got busy. I pulled out all of my scrap material and started working through that and then was calling out to my community just to ask if anybody could donate materials. So, and then I've been getting donations from people. So I've, I actually haven't had to buy any material. So all, all the material that's been donated to me, I've made into masks and um, given to Michael Guerin Hospital. So I've made, I think at this point, about 275 masks and I'm still working on more. You are truly an ordinary person doing extraordinary stuff. <laughs> so I have a, a couple of final questions for you. And one is, who is your role model? So. And thinking about this, I find this a really difficult question to answer, but I, you know, I thought about it quite a bit and I really feel that the people who are my role models are a lot of the women in my life and particularly my mom and my grandmother who were very independent, strong women who I looked up to and tried to emulate, I think. And as well as I look to my children. I have three daughters and they are inspiring to me and I admire their social justice, you know, outlook on life. And they're so smart, you know, they're just so smart. And I, I just feel like we learn from the younger generation and I feel like I'm open to that, you know? And so I, I just admire them. And also my female friends, you know, I have a, one of my closest friends is just such a, one of the kindest and most loving 
and accepting people I know. And I, I want to be like her all the time. <laughs> I try to be more like her every day. I try to be more like the people that I look up to. I try to be more like them every day. What a blessing to be surrounded by people that you admire so much. Given that this podcast is about choosing hope, what are you hopeful for? I am hopeful that our world will change and grow and get better. And I really, I have so much hope in our younger generation because I do think that they are able to change the world. And I think they're so intelligent and they move the world forward. So I have a lot of hope in, in the younger generation. Incredible. Wonderful. Wow. Thank you, Tarquin, so much for sharing your work with us. To see some of Tarquin's magnificent henna creations and the stuff that she's up to, to learn more about her, check out her website at www.hennaplanet.ca. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard, click the subscribe button to listen to more episodes. And if you are an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and want to be a guest on this show, message me on my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feed. In the meantime, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, choose hope. Hope is the spark that ignites us to move forward and make things happen.